it's almost a rite of passage, isn't it? To have a school sort of crush at, at that age and do the sort of giggling and, and blah, blah, blah. And that's that's what I wanted. That's um, something I feel like I missed out on and was missing out on at the time. <laughs> so I just, just used to pester everyone. And as soon as I heard a, a whiff of, you know, there's like, um, I think there's a gay guy that came out in this new school. And I'm like, who knows him? Introduce me. And then obviously it would, again, kind of uh, happen that, you know, there was not the immediate attraction that I was kind of expecting. So kind of just got to terms with it, I guess. Hello, I am Gay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories they created there, and the people that they used to know. My guest on this week's show is Alistair Barton, host of the Picking at Perfection podcast. That's a lot of peas there a show that aims to explore and break down perfectionist expectations. And this week we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of visiting a bar or a club, we're going to a youth group. Alistair says that the youth group that he went to as a teenager gave him a safe space to explore his identity with a group of young people that were outside of his school and outside of all of the expectations and pressure that he felt there. But it wasn't all arts, crafts and ping pong. We caught up to talk about the group, growing up in the suburbs and his number one teenage crush, Hot Gay Joey. Oh, and I have to say before we get started, if you are heterosexual and you're listening to this episode, I make some assertions about what it's like to grow up as a heterosexual uh, that may or may not be correct. So do feel free to call me out if I am wildly off base. Even though Wokingham is really quite a big place, it was still everyone knows everyone kind of vibes. You couldn't walk in the street without being stopped and and saying hi. Um, and for me, that was one of the massive things that I wanted to get away from, move away from Wokingham for. Um, and I have friends that still live there, but I don't enjoy going back and just being recognised kind of thing because ah. I think there's kind of like a, a fakeness to it of people stopping in the street and saying, hey, and it's like, oh, how are you? And it's like, realistically, we haven't spoken in, you know, 15 years in some cases. I don't think you really care how I am or, or what I'm doing unless you want something from it, unless you, you know, like that people add you on LinkedIn because they see that you're in a similar industry. So it's like, oh, okay, so this is going to end up with a, um, it's not a, a meaningless kind of request it's you know there's loaded there's something that they want yeah so I guess I just don't like sort of fake society um and we were talking before we started recording that I'm a bit more of an introvert um so when you run into people in the street do you just go through the charade or do you just like try to zip it and get moving (laughs) I apologize to anyone that I've ever avoided in person is not personal (laughs) if they're listening to this so I guess there's like two scenarios so like if you see them from afar and if they, if you recognize them before they recognize you, if it's someone I don't want to speak to, then I would just, I don't know, keep my head down, try not to be noticed or whatever. And then if they notice you, it'd be like, oh, hi. And if you can sort of look them in the eye and keep walking, then I would do that. But um, yeah, if they stop me in the street, then I'll, I'll go through the charade. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I have a, a special dislike for it because I, I don't like um, off the cuff kind of, chat because I feel like I misrepresent myself like um maybe there's like a, a natural need to want to impress them and um you know tell them all of your achievements and things like that and um almost like you know put up barriers I guess mm. um and I'm just I'm not into that whole kind of thing um and honestly if I haven't stayed in touch with with someone then I I don't really um not care about them. That's the wrong word. I wish them well. I don't wish them any yeah, harm, yeah. but there's obviously a reason that we didn't stay in each other's lives. Um, and if that's fine, I think you have to accept that and move on from that rather than labor it out and pretend to want to meet up and catch up over drinks sometime. And that never happens. Is, um, is there a fear of judgment in there? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I like, I fear everyone's judgment for sure. Um, that's something that, yeah, I think everyone deals with fear of judgment, right? Um, 
I can't, I, it's fear of being judged. It's fear of just um, being seen, like having the the kind of conversation with them and what will they think and how will you compare to them as well? Like what if they're, you know, it, it sounds so stupid. What if they're in a more successful kind of role and, and that wouldn't make me feel so good because we're the same age or similar age and I would come away thinking, oh, I should have mm. done better, worked harder um, and got to where they've got, I guess, mm. like comparison culture. I also, like, I'm just such an awkward conversationalist that it always goes mm. awry. <laughs> I mean, I fuck, it, I fuck it up immediately because people are like, how are you? Yeah. And I don't just say, oh, I'm great. I say, well, I've got like this funny knee at the moment and then this is happening and then this is happening. And then they're just <laughs> like, oh, fuck, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't really mean how are you? They just, the natural expected response is yes. And so let me give you an example. So I ran into a friend. So um, I was back in Woking recently um, seeing my parents and I was just in town and I ran into someone. It was actually a girl that I used to, like in year seven, we like had a, a boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. And, you know, she's absolutely lovely. And in that instance, I didn't regret kind of stopping, but it is awkward. So she was like, oh, how are you? And like, I was like, oh, um, I got engaged. And like, I took my ring off and showed her, like, why would you do that? Why would you take your <laughs> ring off and show her? And then I dropped it in the street and had to chase after it. And I was like, that's the kind of awkward stuff that I get into, like when I, I'm not prepared to, to talk. <laughs> And it was just embarrassing. Maybe so. Maybe the solution is whenever you leave your house, like hype yourself up as though you're going to be talking to someone, yeah. and then you'll just start talking to strangers at the bus stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just yeah. an awkward person, I guess. I think I everything prefer... has social context. Yeah, I just I prefer people to be awkward and themselves than polished and kind of boring. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, most people that when they stop you in the street, they just want you to be kind of boring and say hollow platitudes and then be on your way, mm. chasing your ring down the street. I guess it's also on a relate and like I can't relate because I would never stop someone in the street myself because <laughs> if they're in the street, you know, they're running an errand or, you know, they're, they're doing something else. Maybe if they're Maybe really, they got kicked you know, out of the friends, house like, and they're just killing oh, time. Yeah. But if you ask them if how they were, they would say, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> So even a really good friend, you would just not want to sit up and talk to them? I probably, well, yeah, I don't know. I would probably wave, but maybe continue walking because, so like, this is the thing, like, if I'm out, it's for a purpose. I'm not just like wandering around, like aimlessly looking for people to chat to. It's like, I've got to, I'm in a rush, I'm running an errand, I've got to pick something up or, or something like that. And I guess I just think that everyone is like that and, and doesn't really want to be interrupted because they're on their way somewhere or they've got something else in mind. I guess for me, everything has to be done with like a, a purpose or an end goal, which is, yeah, I guess not really a very nice way to talk about people. But Like, well, why don't you just say to them, sorry, you're not on my to-do list today. <laughs> I think I would end up with not many friends. But yeah, I guess that is the point I'm getting to. <laughs> and I think my friends would know, like, they like if they were listening to this, they'd be like, yeah, that's Alistair. That's just part of his ways kind of thing that I am kind of a, a bit more of a blunt person, I guess. But yeah, I maybe wouldn't say that. I would say something like, I'm in a rush or I've got to go, but we should catch up. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think so. This is advice from a complete stranger and you can ignore it. So absolutely just go ahead and do that. But like sometimes those instances, and I'm not saying that I'm like, super into them either like because sometimes it's just like oh please like pavement can you just swallow me up I don't want to talk to this person but sometimes like it's just a magical little moment of happenstance and it can like help you solve a problem help you look at a situation in a different way or make you think maybe I'm not so terrible at conversation because I actually got through that and didn't cringe yeah, that is a good way. Of it. I guess I'm like, um, you're not. Convinced. No, no, I, I accept the advice. Um, I'm very like, maybe a blinkered person. So like when I say I'm running, I don't know, running an errand or something to pick up, like that will be the only thing that's in my head. And I'll be very like, and, and that's why it's sort of blindsided when someone interrupts you and it makes it almost more of an awkward exchange because you are one, not ready or not expecting it. And two, um, you were focused on something else. So it's like a double whammy of, oh, Oh, you. And like, yeah. Oh, um, let me put myself in my mindset of 10 years ago when we knew each other. Um, you liked history. What are you doing with that now? It's almost like a, a, you know, you have to recall things and it's not acceptable if you don't remember things about them and ask how they, how they're using it, I guess. Uh, 
I'm going to make a lot of friends through this episode, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, so so my advice, okay, this is this is also free advice. You know, you're getting getting quite a lot of value out of me today. If you've got if you've got headphones in, then you can just like mm. pretend you pretend you're on a phone call. That's simple. But if you don't, just start talking to yourself because then they'll think, "Oh, he's so caught up in his own world, he didn't notice me." And then you can just keep walking. That is good advice. I might take those ones forward. <laughs> I do it all the time. Or just start singing. <laughs> I'm selling myself to be such like a bad person, but like, you know, I, I do stop and chat to people. Um, Begrudgingly. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess it is. Um, is it so wrong to be honest? Like, uh, I don't do it to hurt anyone. There's no intention of that. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a thing, I guess. Okay, but like I'm totally paying attention. If I ever see you in the street or in a pub or at a concert, I just will not talk to you. Promise. Well, you can wave. <laughs> like a wave is okay. No, 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 no. I'm going all in. <laughs> Commit. Okay, cool. That's fine. I'll just look through you. How about that? Just jump on your phone like a millennial and like text me and say, I saw you and be like, yeah, hey. And then we can just not acknowledge each other in person. <laughs> oh, that is so annoying. That is so annoying when people do that. Like when you get a text message three days later or like later that evening saying, oh, I saw you out on the street today. And it's like, like, why are you telling me this? (laughs) What am I going to do with this information? Why didn't you come and say hello? (laughs) Ah, yeah. I'd rather just not know. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So what were we talking about? We were talking about the difference. Mm. So like you'd always had this vision. So like, you know, growing up in a town, did you feel stifled by that and like ready to break out? Or was it like something that you weren't really that aware of? I guess. And I guess I did do, I didn't break out of the the type of place that it is. I've just moved to kind of like a clone of where I used to live, but in a place where people don't recognize me, I guess. Um, and it was it was almost like a, a not knowing what was out there. Like we did go to London, you know, I make myself sound like I was locked in a room and, and not allowed out. My parents like, you know, took us up to London to see shows and things like that. And, and you know, that remains to be a passion of mine, um, like going to the theater and things like that. But it was always this kind of like overwhelming place that was super busy um, and we were always kept, you know, very close. And, you know, that can be overwhelming as a kid. Um, and yeah, I think it still kind of has that vibe of it's nice to be in, but it's not, I don't think the lifestyle of actually living there is, is for me. It's nice to, to visit and sort of have a fantasy day of, oh yeah, I could so do this life. But I think that doing that every day would be far too, too much for me. Um, I think definitely from like a, an LGBT perspective though, there was really nothing in Wokingham that even resembled that, um, a local, pub called the, I think it was even a Witherspoon's pub called the Gig House, used to have Thursdays, uh, like a gay night on Thursday, <laughs> um, which got cancelled because of like really low attendance by the time that I was actually of the legal age to go. So that was upsetting. Um, and yeah, I guess it did have a, you know, because obviously London has a massive kind of gay scene. Um, but I wasn't super confident back then in terms of maybe being able to take myself up and break into that kind of scene and Mm -hmm. um, do something with it, probably because I hadn't been super exposed to it um, at the the younger age. Mm. And so then, like, at what age were you when you had inklings of gayness? Gayness? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say, like, maybe from, like, 13, 14, perhaps. I, I I hear this like a lot of people talking about it. I guess like I always knew I was different, um, maybe just not knowing why, or maybe not different, but didn't fit the norm kind of mm-hmm. um, in, in um, society or the society that I was growing up in, but couldn't quite pin down what it was. Um, and I think my sort of peers at school realized before I did, I used to sort of get bullied for it. Um, and maybe that kind of set me back a little bit because it had this negative association um, um, of being gay. So it was kind of like, I don't want to accept it in myself um, because it is so negative. Yeah, but I would say probably from around like 13, 14, that kind of age. Um, and then I came out at the age of 16, I think it was. Mm. So then at that age of 13, 14, mm. coming out and working, um, um, well, not coming out, but, you know, being aware of your sexuality, mm. were you able to find anything that you could access 
I don't think so. Um, yeah, like I think I, I probably, of course, like Googled these things and I think I probably saw the, the Thursday's night or, you know, like the occasional gay night. Um, but obviously that was for over 18. So maybe there wasn't necessarily the support in place for younger people sort of having those kind of thoughts and feelings and, and realisations. Um, and I guess that's really where the the youth club kind of came in. Um, I think I was going to youth club at like maybe age 15, um, just before that kind of full realisation and actually announcing it to the world. Um, and there was sort of people there that I sort of saw as, as different or again, not fitting kind of society's norm um, that I could relate to. And they were also a little bit older as well. So it was kind of like a um, maybe a showing of the fact that there is other ways to to live and, and be and and that is kind of okay but not in like a they weren't preaching in that kind of way it was like just an example and you you know kind of get that vibe from other people so what made you like interested in the youth group in the first place do you know I actually can't remember I think I was um I used to go with my neighbor and I think we were sort of looking for we knew each other because we were living down the same road used to play up as um play as kids together when we grew up and I think we almost wanted like a friendship group together because he had his school friends, I had my school friends, but we didn't want to mix those. So, and I think his mum suggested, oh, you know, there's a youth club down at um, Barkham uh, Community Centre. And we were like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll give it a go. And what's funny is that he actually didn't like it. He didn't stick. I think we went a couple of times together, but I had found this group of individuals that I related to and really clicked with. Um, and maybe that excluded him a little bit. So he didn't want to continue but I carried on and sort of made friends with these um older kind of kids um some of them were my age but it made me feel really cool back then to have friends that I could talk about at school that no one else knew and that were older that makes you sound cool right (laughs) (laughs) so then I have Mm. in my mind I never went to a youth club and I think I was always a bit like oh youth clubs they're kind of a bit like twee and geeky and square I shouldn't be saying these words to you sorry um but <laughs> no you're fine something okay so I'm projecting on you here correct me if I'm wrong and and I'm only saying this because I think we have this in common the the great thing about those types of groups is the organized fun mm, definitely where you don't have to just make small talk with people you don't have to like (laughs) awkwardly make your way through the room you're like all focused on doing something yeah for sure and that almost breaks down some of the awkwardness and the barriers because you're all in doing the same kind of activity for sure so what kind of activities were there oh i knew you were gonna ask that i do know what (laughs) i don't remember many of them um there was like a big sort of educational program I guess because it was run by social workers there had to be like an element of um safeguarding or educating and we used to have like um I don't know maybe once uh, every two months or something like that the sex education lady used to come in and we used to have like that was probably the I remember that being the probably best youth club because it was just hilarious because we were all sort of taking it seriously but not taking it seriously and it was always the same lady like she was just the sex education lady bless her I can't remember her name but obviously she did these training sessions and moved from youth group to youth group kind of thing and it was just hilarious like it was because when you're, you know, having sex education at school, there's almost like a formality, but this was like a completely free environment where you could literally just ask anything and she would sort of give you an answer. Um, but it was sort of no, no holes barred kind of thing without pun so what, intended. <laughs> so what kind of questions were asked? Oh, like, it would be so gross to talk about it, but, you know, the um, sort of, did I, I, I think I randomly asked, why do you always need a toilet? Why do you always need a wee after sex or something like that? Um, you know, like weird sort of, you know, when there's rumours that go <laughs> but around. Like, oh, about... Do you have an answer to that question about needing to pee after sex? Because I want to know. Well, I don't know if I asked the question or if I just remembered that, but she answered it from like a female perspective. So I don't know if that's um. what... I don't care she about in, that inferred. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Like, um, yeah. um, and maybe, I, no, I think I asked and maybe she made the assumption that I was talking about a, a partner. I don't know. I was probably really awkward and asking it in like, the weirdest, <laughs> most shyest kind of way. I'm making it sound really big and like, oh, we had such fun and we're so open and honest. And I was sitting crying in a corner not wanting to talk. <laughs> like terrified to put your hand up. <laughs> I, I think that must have been like the first session maybe. And the, the second session that I saw was... Um, more open about kind of the questions about non-traditional sex, if you like, so not between a man and a woman kind of thing. Whereas at school, kind of maybe it was more 
rigorous down that route. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember my sex education being like, a man and a woman have sex and it makes a baby. Um, and sometimes men and men have sex, but we won't talk about that kind of thing. That's just, you'll have to find out about that if you want it kind of thing. Like, but I guess putting a condom on applies to both, so... Yeah, well, but I mean, n- not for lesbian sex. The um, oh no, good point. The yeah. first thing I want to pick up on is the fact that you say traditional sex, and that I love that. Mm. And then the second thing, I apologize. <laughs> I think um, I, there's no word like popular sex. Like, is that the most popular form of sex? <gasps> How about heterosexual sex? <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, you're quite right. I yeah, sorry. I'm not the most woke person for sure. No, 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 no. Sorry, sex. sorry. Just the the idea of like a traditional sex like we are gonna mm. follow this tradition of having sex <laughs> and yeah okay maybe it, maybe it's just yeah, me who's finding it funny i think yeah i think like when we learned about sex between men it was like oh and if you do this you'll probably get hiv really ah lols lunchtime <laughs> oh my god if that's what they said to you then i had it much better yeah and like i didn't grow up in this country but anyone who grew up Mm. under section 28 so like till 2004 Mm. or something like they just wouldn't even bring it up yeah what a boring lesson if none of it applies to you (laughs) but the other thing like obviously i can't speak from a heterosexual perspective Mm. but okay where am i going so there's something that i really like like about how if you're heterosexual you're just told oh, you're going to be the dominant one. Oh, you're going to be the submissive one. And this is how you're going to have sex. Off you go. And then if you're not that, then there's like all this, like there's all these decisions. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I just don't want a decision. Mm. But <laughs> but that's actually just completely false because there are all of those decisions in heterosexual relationships. Mm. It's just that they're kind of brainwashed into thinking like that they don't have the decision and they have to comply with these stereotypes. Um, And it would be great if sex education was like, oh, hey, by the way, even though you're heterosexual, you might want to have her fist up your ass. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just make sure she wears a glove. I think what's difficult about the whole thing is that no one can talk from everyone's perspective. Like you were just saying there, you can't you can't speak from a heterosexual perspective and like that is that is part of it. Like no one no one knows what anyone else is experiencing, let alone, you know, what a group of people are experiencing. So it's um it's yeah, it's super tough. Yeah, I think like one of the gifts of not being straight is that you get that opportunity to say like, Oh, everything that I've been taught like doesn't apply to me. So, like, I need to, like, think about how I'm going to live my life and, like, consciously make all these decisions. But if you're, like, heterosexual Mm. and you're able-bodied and you're white, then you go through life and it's far, far easier just to accept everything that you're told. Like, this is what you're going to do here, this is what you're going to do here, and then you're going to have kids and then you're going to buy a house and blah, blah, blah. And so you don't have that moment where you're like, oh, actually, like, what do I want? Like, what do I want to do? Mm. And so either that point never comes or you have a midlife crisis. Mm. That's a, I've never had it put out like that, but that is amazing. Like the fact that, yeah, now that you've put it like, I mean, not that I ever wished I was straight or anything like that. Um, I've always been very happy with who I am, but I'm even more happy having gone through what you're saying about taking more conscious decisions for not fitting the norm. They're almost going through the motions, the way you've put it, mm. like of just society, like you say, expecting, you know, marriage, baby, or midlife crisis. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that is kind of a rite of passage now, isn't it? Like, you, you know, you have to go through that kind of thing, like blow everything up and start again. It's quite exciting. Mm, yeah. I want to buy a stupid car. So, like, you didn't know before you went that there were going to be, like, other queer people there. No, that's true. But after you went, like, how did you know? Oh, what? How did I know the the other people were were gay, essentially? Yeah, I guess I, like, didn't. Um, So it was a long kind of, well, maybe not long. It was, like, maybe a couple of months sort of discovery, I guess, um, of just, like, integrating with these people and being sort of friendly and and making friends and um, being in the group. And it was always, uh, it always used to end of, oh, like, are you coming next week? And... There wasn't, you know, in those days, like a WhatsApp chat, but we used to all have each other's numbers and be like, oh, you know, you're going youth club this Friday. Yeah, I can't wait kind of thing. Um, And this one time, one of the girls brought her friends along that wasn't normally part of the crew. 
and there was like a passing of someone said, oh, and you know, uh, this is Nick has a boyfriend or something like that. Maybe it wasn't so outright as as that, but it was like, oh yeah, your boyfriend does that or something like that. And there was little closeted gay me waiting for this kind of reference. And my ears literally perked up and I was like, oh my God, may, maybe he is. Maybe I didn't mishear that. And I remember having like a separate conversation with that girl being like, is Nick, is he, is he gay? Kind of thing, like on the sidelines, because I thought it was so taboo back then. And she was like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk to him about it? And I was like, oh my God, no. Like, and I was like, but good to know kind of thing. And from that point, I was probably this annoying person that kept sort of subtly, but not very subtly asking her <laughs> questions about him and hinting that she should introduce us. <laughs> Um, and that sort of, I, I think as uh, me ending up in a relationship with this guy, Nick, was the sort of outing, I guess. But it was nice that I didn't have to say it. It was just like a um, a group of people that were like, oh, yeah, Nick and Alistair are together now. Like, that's a that's a thing. There was no like, oh, my God, like, Alistair's gay. Um, he's come out. It was like a automatic acceptance um, and understanding, I guess. So, okay, just let's just make sure that I've understood this correctly. So mm. this friend brought Nick to the group mm-hmm. and then you became obsessed with Nick and then you started dating him. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> so I remember, I think, um, yeah, okay, obsessed is probably the right word. I, I had a number, I was quite good friends with her. I guess I was intrigued. I was like, oh, and like, so Nick has a boyfriend. And she was like, yeah, like he's gay. Like there was just like the questions. I was almost like this kid that didn't understand it and was trying to discover it because they related to it. Um, and I think it ultimately ended with me asking for her to give me Nick's number. And then it spiraled sort of from there, from chatting. Um, I did mention earlier that Nick had a boyfriend. Yeah, did you break them up? No, no, no. Yeah, oh, okay. I want to put that disclaimer oh. in there. I'm sure Aww. it was X. Oh, that's <laughs> not, not exciting. Aww. Damn. I, and we didn't really last very long. He was kind of like my my first ever proper boyfriend. Um, but I guess I think I just jumped on the first person that I knew that was like me kind of thing. And I, I'm so sorry, Nick, if you are listening. I'm sure he doesn't remember <laughs> me and, it, and it's fine. Um, but I think there was of like, oh my God, I finally met this other gay person who's like me. So of um, course we're going to be together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of it. It was like, this could be it. This could be the only gay person that I ever meet, which is obviously massively wrong, but you kind of think that as a kid sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think it was just sort of still kind of a kiddie type thing back then that wasn't like a real relationship. It was, you know, just texting that person extra often. Um, and it sort of fizzled out when I... So how did you get sorry. together then? So was it just that you hounded him? <laughs> Probably just pestered him into it. <laughs> I mean, I think he probably took me on like what I would say as a date, but it's not really, you know, back then it was like, I think we just probably walked to the park or something. We used to hang out a lot as a group and just that, I mean, that was the only thing we did, like hang out. It wasn't really anything. It was like loping off down to the park or whatever. And I don't know, maybe I tried to hold his hand sometime and and that was that kind of thing. <sighs> Is it giving you nostalgia? No, but do you remember like how much bravery that took to initiate something like holding someone's hand or like brushing against them gently? Like, oh God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, it was all, I guess the real part of it was going on behind closed doors because, you know, it was like happening by text. I was like, you know, if it's it's on text, it's not out in the open. People don't know. Um, It's not in front of a crowd kind of thing. Um, I'm not necessarily outing myself. Um, but I guess but I at that time being... they didn't have aubergine or peach emojis, did they? That is true. That is true. So, what, so what, what did you have to talk about? <laughs> oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> I wish that would be such a trip, like reading all the texts that I used to send or whatever. Um, it'd probably be very depressing to be honest. Do you like me? Do you like like me? Yeah, 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 probably. I, remember, <laughs> I imagine I probably pestered loads. Um but yeah, I, I remember feeling particularly safe in this group, but not wanting it to get out from this group at, at that stage, which was mm-hmm. kind of why maybe it was nice to have separate group of friends from the people at school because, you know, people at school you see every day. So it can be rough if, you know, things sort of go wrong or if there's rumors, bullying or whatever. Whereas this group of people, I sort of felt safe. It was like weekends. No one that I knew of um, had sort of friends in common. So I could almost be myself. It was like, you know, what we were talking about earlier, kind of like reinvention of having this new friendship group um, that I could be myself with before I prepared to be my real self in my actual 
real world mm-hmm. of school. And so it was kind of a blessing then that Rob dropped out. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because I probably wouldn't ever wanted him to to find that out being a neighbour and sort of maybe making a passing comment to his parents or something like that. But yes, you are, you're quite right. It could have gone very different if I was outed in that way by him. Mm. So who cares about Rob? Let's talk about Nick. Um, so what <laughs> happened with Nick? I think I sort of made the, because it, like I was saying earlier, I um, sort of jumped on him straight away because I was like, oh my God, the first gay person that I've ever found, like we must be destined for each other. And then I think maybe as I more um, came into this group of people that knew people that were comfortable with their sexuality and that were out, um, you know, I'm not saying there was, you know, hundreds of, of gay people, but there were more sort of within the circles that that they went around. Um and there was this really attractive guy. I wish I could remember his name. There was this really attractive gay guy that had the nickname of like, if his name was Joey, it was like, oh yeah, it's Hot Gay Joey. Like that was just his nickname. And I was like, maybe I want a piece of Hot Gay Joey. And so it was like, okay. So I realized that maybe we, maybe I rushed into it of like jumping on the bandwagon as soon as I found someone. Um, yeah, Nick, if you're listening, I'm really, really, really sorry. <laughs> I should have used a fake name for you. <laughs> I guess you sort of, I was open to this world that I was like, okay, this is, you know, I need need to do some exploring well, here. So, so Nick was just like run-of-the-mill standard, not very exciting. Oh no, he was like a lovely guy. What, what was wrong with Nick? Nothing was wrong with Nick. Like he's, yeah, he was, lo- he was really nice. He was lovely to me. He was, um yeah, like part of the kind of emo kind of crowd, um, you know, like black hoodies, like baggy clothes, that kind of vibe. Um, yeah, I, d- I have no idea. I'd love to see the the text that I no doubt dumped him in and, and understand my reasoning. Um, <gasps> you dumped him by text? <laughs> Probably. I would say that was my shallow self back then. I mean, we were never fully, like, declared as, well, I guess we were, but, you know, it wasn't anything. I'm sort of demeaning it to childhood kind of relationships. It wasn't, you know, we weren't engaged. <laughs> but the good news in all of this is that you broke his heart. <laughs> I don't know if that's good news. Just paints me in a, the <laughs> upper hand. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you didn't get your heart broken. You were like, I'm bouncing. I'm off to see Hot Gay Joey. <laughs> bouncing. <laughs> but me and, me and Hot Gay Joey never worked out. So that, that's the sad bit. But um, Oh, no. You didn't lock in your second option. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it wasn't reciprocated from, from Hot Gay Joey. That was for sure. Um, yeah, it's like Nick was, um, I think I was maybe like 14, 15 at this time and then came out at, at 16. I'm pretty sure Nick was like 18, 19. So there was already an element of him sort of being super, not super comfortable, but more comfortable. Um, but what a loser, an 18-year-old getting dumped by a 14-year-old. <laughs> Nick, if you are listening, you're a loser. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so glad that I got your second name, Nick. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So he was more comfortable. Yeah, so I, I was still at this awkward stage of, um, and I don't think he held it against me, but I was, you know, like literally just on the very cusp of like discovering myself and getting comfortable with myself. Whereas I think he'd had a lot more maybe exposure to that and understanding of it. Um, like I think I'm pretty sure he was at college and things like that and was, you know, he was not more, yeah, like more into his journey and more comfortable. Whereas I was at the start of my kind of discovery Um to say like at different places in our life is very cliche, especially at that age. But that's kind of what I'm getting at in the terms of he kind of understood that it was my first ever relationship with with mm. a, another guy. So maybe it was never going to last. I'm sure he's very happy now with uh, <laughs> wed up with someone. I don't know. We didn't stay in touch. So <laughs> oh, let's oh, let's start a social media campaign where we look for him. <laughs> so, okay, so you dumped him via text. Because of Hot Gay Joey. So tell me about Hot Gay Joey. Okay, I wasn't like, hey, it's because I I wish I could remember Hot Gay Joey's real name. Um, Maybe it was Adam, I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll go with Hot Gay Joey as an alias. Hot Gay Joey made me kind of realise that, okay, there is this other world of, um, you know, uh, (laughs) gay guys that I can... (laughs) That are hot. (laughs) Yeah, that I can... And not that Nick wasn't hot, but I mean, Hot (laughs) Gay Joey looking back was not even that hot, to be honest. Like, but I guess I was just... I don't like establishing levels. Um, maybe I thought I was settling. Like that sounds really mature to think at that age. And I'm sure I didn't think of that. But at that age, um, I was very much 
uh, sorry, um, looking back to it now, that's what I was doing. I was being like, this is as good as I'm going to get. And then it was like introduced to a whole nother world of, um, you know, there are more gay people out there. There is more choice. This is not it forever. And it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to settle then. I'm going to explore, I guess, and just be be open. And and I guess that probably led to me sort of coming out. Coming out, like coming out, out to everyone. So I had a couple of phases of of coming out. There was um, the the soft launch. Oh, did you like have a spreadsheet where you said it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I probably did. I, um, so yeah, this is going to make me sound really old, but um, we used to always meet up on after secondary school on MSN and just sit and chat to each other on on chat rooms, basically. And I came out to my friends and peers by putting. Uh, I, I wish I remember what I wrote, wrote but it's something like. I'm gay, deal with it in my like status line and that everyone sees on MSN and that everyone gets a notification for. And I just to this day remember that night. And I think there was a lot of planning that went into it. I definitely consulted with a couple of friends um, sort of telling them before. And I was like, this is my plan. It's going to happen on, you know, Tuesday, the 8th of May. And it was like, and all of them bless Can them. Can you help me workshop what the headlines will be? Yeah, well, all of them bless them were like, we'll be online for that night, um, you know, like to not help you, but like to support you and, and that kind of thing. And the the status line went up um, and I've never had so many MSN messages in my life um, to that day. Like <laughs> it, it, MSN was like a thing that you added everyone on, even if you weren't really friends with them and even if you didn't actually have a, a chat conversation with them. And I just remember getting so many messages from people that I never speak to being like, just like, hey. And I think they were like testing the water to see if I'd been like um, spammed, if someone had like got hold of my account. and Hacked you, yeah. Yeah, like, because, you you know, people are cruel or, you know, that's kind of like a prankster thing that you do when you went over to someone's house. And I think it was like testing the water of, you know, is this actually Alistair or is this, is this a real coming out or is this a, a prank kind of thing? Um and yeah, I think the second line that would come in would be like, so is it true or something to that kind of effect? And it'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's true. And then, God, it must have taken so much bravery to go into school the next day. I did it. I must have done it on a weekday. I didn't do it on a weekend. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine. And I can't even remember. That's probably, it was so traumatic that I blocked it from my mind. But the bravery the next day. Um, and I remember actually, because I guess writing it on MSN was my way of not having to confront it in person of being like, you know, it will go, I won't have to say it out loud if I write it online. And obviously I didn't have the whole entire school on MSN. So the next day still, because people were talking about it who had me on MSN and they were okay with it. But it was overheard by other people that I didn't have on MSN. I had to trickle out. Yeah. And it was like, I kind of didn't plan for that in my head. I wasn't ready for it. And it was or it was my worst nightmare to kind of have to say it out loud like that um, and actually can sort of confront it and come to terms with it and for fear of what people would, would say and, and respond. Mm. Um, and I, I distinctly remember a conversation um, outside of like queuing up for maths or something like that outside the maths block. And um, people were talking to me about it or, you know, it, it was being uh, said. And I think one of the like, uh, um, not to sound cliche, but one of the school bullies or, you know, like um, people that weren't particularly nice interrupted the conversation and they were like, um, you know, something along the lines of, what? Like, really? Like, he's actually gay. He's admitted it kind of thing and almost making fun of it. Um because it they it hadn't the news hadn't reached them that it was true. It was something that they would use as a a, a bully sort of line um, mm. to make fun of instead of actually coming to terms with it. Um, and I I don't remember. I'm pretty sure someone stood up for me and was like, "Yeah, he is. Like, he's come to it. He he said it out loud, so now you can't use it against him." Kind of thing. And I think the bully was like, "Ah, well, respect." And just sort of turned around kind of thing. It was almost like you, they were using the fear against me. But then when it was out in the open and you've you've claimed it, they're like, oh, well, we can't hold that against you anymore because you've owned it. Mm. I It sort of settled down after that, I guess. Um, it was probably quite a an easy, um, peaceful coming out. The, the one thing that I was super worried about, so this was all just to my friends, no, no family involved. So there was like a big thing of if you come over to my house, don't talk about it because it's it's just friends oh. at the moment that know this. It was just wave one of the the coming out kind of schedule. Do you want to hear about coming out to my family? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so we've talked about phase one, wa- wave phase one. one. What like what? How many phases were there? First of all, I think just two <laughs> total. Total okay. two big phases. Um, so. But yeah, I think there was a year gap between the school coming out and the family coming out. 
And um, it's so sad. I remember the exact reason why I wanted to, the deadline that I, I sounds like such an organized freak. The deadline that I set myself (laughs) for coming out was because I was going to a Lady Gaga concert with my parents and two friends. And I was like, I want to be myself at the Lady Gaga concert. There could be some hot men there that are, you know, interested in me and I don't have to hold back. And I want to be able to make out in front of my parents. Yeah. Yes. I want to live my true life and, and dance to, to Lady Gaga songs. So yeah, thank you, Lady Gaga, if you're listening to this, because that was um, an amazing deadline you set me. And yeah, I guess it was, again, having a bit of a conversation with my friends, talking to them about what I was going to do. Um, and yeah, they were a really big support system to me. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I think, you know, how good of them to to be so um, carefree and, and unjudgmental and at that age to be so mature and support someone in such a big, um, you know, life occasion such as that. And, um, so the night came, I think it was a Friday night and, um, I did that classic. Like, there's a theme with me. It has to be like, I don't like saying these things out loud. So I wrote it down in a letter <gasps> and my parents were, and my mum has still has the letter. I, she said the other day, do you want to read it? And I was like, God, no, like, do not <laughs> with me. I bet it's the cringiest thing ever. Um, and so they were dropping me at a friend's house for Friday. Um, and I just, when I was getting out of the car, I just said, oh, and they were going to the pub. And I was like, here's something for you to read in the pub. And I just like passed the letter through to the front seats. And I remember my dad just kind of like awkwardly taking it and being like, okay, all right. Uh, I think maybe in their their heads, they maybe knew what I was going to say. And then I was dropped off at my friend's house and everyone was like, did you do it? Like, did you give them the letter? And I was like, yeah, like I did it. It was, I've done it kind of thing. Um, And maybe like 20 minutes later, um, I guess my parents didn't want to keep me waiting and worrying or whatever. They phoned me and they were like, it's totally fine. Like it doesn't, doesn't change anything. Um, we still love you. That kind of, kind of vibe. Um, and I was just very like, uh, I would say probably shirty or like standoffish of being like, yeah, like, okay, I know that, like, I know that that's fine. Like, yeah, thanks. And I just got on with the night, like, um, and continued doing whatever we were doing at my friend's house. And then obviously there was a, a bigger, um, follow-up conversation at home when I got home or the next day or something like that. But so why do you say you were, you were shirty? I get like, okay, so maybe not. Does shirty mean like angry or aggressive? It, I mean, like maybe um, kind of uncomfortable or awkward and just being like one liners of, yes, I've I've never been like a, a person who's totally comfortable talking about emotional things and things like that with my, my parents in particular, uh-huh. people in general, probably. Um, yeah, it's probably about the sort of opening up for, for being um, judged, for the potential of being judged and things like that. But yeah, just um, it's just a bit cringe, isn't it? Like, I, you know, it's whilst it's really nice to hear that nothing will change and they still love me, it's kind of cringe to hear it out loud. And I guess part of me kind of shuts down and just goes like, yeah, yeah, of course, I know that. Like, whilst inside, I'm like sort of dying of cringe. <laughs> Is there also something about like, the, the moment not living up to what it is in in your head, like especially if you plan something for so long, like I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to do it, this is the sequence that it's going to go in. If there's a message that's just like, oh yeah, we're totally cool with it, that's like a bit anticlimactic, right? Mm, yeah, I think that that definitely is part of it. I'm always um, as someone for the drama, like I love the drama, and um, you know, my friends were ready to be like, you can stay here if they like kick you out or something like that. We were all probably amping it up a bit more um, in our heads. The The main thing for me was like, now I have to talk about it. Now I have to be open about this like world that was once private to me is now open on the table um, to discuss. Because like, you know, my family have always been quite open about discussing things, um, you know, like sexual health, sexual partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, that kind of thing. And it was like, now I have to, sort of be subject to that but in a way that it applies to actually me Um, okay you know like previously I guess the assumption had been made like you know always wear a condom for protection against getting a girl pregnant and then like now it's like wear a condom for protection against AIDS it's kind of like before I was like well that's not applicable to me the the getting a girl pregnant thing so I could ignore this awkward conversation that I'm having with my parents um whereas now it it actually applies to just like mentally opt out yeah now I have to like listen up and actually pay attention (laughs) And so then what was that conversation like, the in-person conversation? It was uncomfortable, I would say that for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't remember it word for word, but it was very much coming from my dad. Um, I think there was like an underlying tone of worry for sure. And they said, this also annoyed me, never, if any, any parents are listening and they're 
their son or daughter comes out, like never say this to them. They were like, we, we sort of deep down knew um, because of, you know, you dressing up sometimes and things like that. That was kind of the thing. And I was like, damn it. Like I haven't been covert. That's really upsetting to hear. Um, but ha- but hang, and, hang on, hang on. Yeah, I'm the, really the, sorry to point this out, <laughs> but you were going to a Lady Gaga <laughs> concert with your parents like the following week. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I wasn't very covert, <laughs> for sure. I just don't think that's what anyone wants to hear, though. Like, yeah, we... I'm, and, okay, I can relate to it on a parenting level. You know, like, you know, my mum literally gave birth to me. and There's a connection between a, a mother and their child that you can't describe kind of thing. So if she knew deep down, then then that is fair enough. That's sort of mother's instinct. But you wanted them to be like, um, oh, we are the, so shocked. You're so butch. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> of the drama queen that I am. <laughs> yeah, you're so butch. All of those, you know, He-Man magazines that you um, and um yeah the, the underlying tone from them was worry like you know we're we're happy for you um and we accept you but uh we we worry about you um and one of the big things that they talked about uh, and it was like a a sticking point in our family about the whole gay thing was like HIV and AIDS because it still carries this stigma that it is kind of like a, a gay disease um and you know ultimately that is how it spread um, but yeah, that was one of the first things that, that they said to me, like, we would worry about you getting HIV or AIDS, which is probably not the most encouraging thing to hear. Yeah. Like that was kind of part of the conversation that I had with my parents and, and also just a general, like, we're worried about like the, the homophobia mm. in society and how you're going to be subjected to that and how life is going to be harder for you than it would be for you if you were heterosexual. And, and, mm. you know, as I'm getting older, and I'm seeing more and more examples of, of how my life is harder because of things that are beyond my control. I can understand and relate more to what my parents were saying, but also like probably not the right time to bring it up, right? Yeah. Let us have a little moment. <laughs> we're really happy for you, but you're probably going to die soon. Like, it's just like, um, yeah. um. I, you're right. And they were saying the same as well. And that you've kind of reminded me about like the, the stereotype or the, um, the stigma that society carries and how it might be held against you kind of thing. Um, but, you know, no one ever really wants to hear that. There's never really a good time to to tell someone that their life is going to be as standard, more difficult than perhaps other people's. And, it, you know, it must be so hard as a parent to be a balance of supportive and a balance of caring because, you know, I would say that if more parents raised their children to be, you know, freer and, you know, not hold stigma and, and things like that, um, then it would be, you know, great. And there wouldn't be a need to be caught more cautious if you are a, a gay person um, or other kind of diversity. Um, but what comes first, like the mm-hmm. encouraging people, because you can't encourage someone to be free in who they are. And then one day, you know, them get hurt for being true to themselves when they could have maybe, you know, done a bit of social engineering and and not so put themselves in that situation. Mm. So a big example for me, actually, while we're talking about that, to bring up, you probably have an opinion on this. Um, there's some places, and someone someone asked me this recently, maybe it was my parents or family, they were like, do you hold hands everywhere? Like me and Rob, when we're, when we're out in person. Um, and there there is places that we will not hold hands to not draw attention to the fact that it is. And and they were like, oh, you know, that's, that's sad. And I was like, yeah, it, it is. But like, what's sadder like not holding hands or you know getting beaten up for for who you are or potentially hurt kind of thing Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I mean by social engineering in terms of like reading the room and and knowing when it's the right moment to to be affectionate and and to do that um, and when it's potentially safer to to not do it which is kind of almost like hiding Um, Mm -hmm. someone could probably call me out on that and say that you are hiding it Um, but you know what is it better to hide to be safe or is it better to to make the protests i i don't know i don't know if there is an answer to that question yeah i remember like when i was younger i used to be so defiant about it and be like no we are holding hands we are gonna walk down this road and hold hands um and then as i've gotten older i realized that i'm actually not that affectionate <laughs> so now i'm like oh, just, we hate like, people don't... <laughs> We're not affectionate. no but it's like i don't really want to hold your hand because your hand's clammy and it's like this is annoying and if i didn't hold your hand i could do like other things with my hand <laughs> it is quite an inconvenient thing i do agree with that but it's nice to do sometimes yeah i mean linking arms i don't mind that but holding hands i don't yeah i'm just not really into it <laughs> But yeah, that's totally fair enough. I get that. But yeah, like I mean, again, the bravery that it takes for that very first time that you hold hands in public. Just mm. hats off to anyone who's plucked up that courage. 
Mm, definitely. And like, you know, thinking sort of thinking about this, like we wouldn't have as many gay rights as we do nowadays if someone wasn't willing to to stand up and um, to do that kind of thing in public and, and make the protest. Um, you know, and it's, it is kind of thinking about it out loud. It is kind of sad that um, maybe... I don't feel like I'm able to make that protest sometimes. And, you know, just by, like, you know, people literally marched in London when it was illegal to, you know, raise awareness. And there's me, like, not wanting to get, have an insult hurled at me because I'm scared to hold hands. Like, you know, I'm actually, I'm probably at the root of the cause of some of society's problems by by not doing that and making it normal. Almost. Yeah, but you need to, like, live to fight another day, right? Like... Mm, true. I love that way of looking at it. The, um... The other thing I wanted to ask, so what do you think that youth group taught you about yourself? Oh, good question. Um, What did youth group teach me? I think just overall, like, maybe acceptance. Um, Yeah, I just got this sense of, like, there was just no judgment. I don't know what it was about this group of individuals, whether it was the fact that I don't know, they all came from a different upbringing or the fact that they maybe all considered themselves somewhat outcast from society. It just felt like such a non-pressured environment. Like everyone was just okay with whatever um, or whoever you, you kind of were. Whereas school and family, because you've grown up with a lot of those people, um, obviously you've grown up with your family, but I mean like the you've been through school with all of your friends, they pretty much stay the same. Um, there's almost like a pressure because they know you so much. Um, and I think this has been a theme throughout my sort of what I've been saying, but it was almost like an opportunity for reinvention because you've grown as a person and you're actually not the person that everyone else thinks or expects you to be. Um, so going into a newer environment lets you be your true self rather than your expected self. My goodness, that sounded very philosophical, but I actually stand by it. Do you have any memories from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, then please get in touch. I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space and tell me what you got up to. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Lost Spaces Pod. And I'm super lonely there, so please come and say hello. Find out more about Alistair via the Picking at Perfection website, which is pickingatperfection.com, or follow him on Instagram, Picking at Perfection. Links will be in the show notes for the program. Don't worry, I've got your back. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I have been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there, and will be releasing songs over the next year. You can hear the first single, Well Groomed Boys, which is also playing underneath my talking right now on all streaming platforms. If you like this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribe, left a review on your podcast platform of choice, or just told people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.